This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. You look at the oneness of the world and the beauty and the horror and the terror and the butterflies and the bombs. It's, it, it's oneness. It's not a static oneness. It's a highly dynamic oneness. We just haven't realized how it works because we're stuck in this image of duality, in this image of your and mine. And that is a complete illusion. You know there is no your and my oneness. There is oneness. Welcome to the Be Here Now guest podcast. This series features a collection of teachings and conversations centered around mindfulness, spiritual growth, and living a life in balance. Each week, our diverse network of guest teachers and hosts offer up wisdom and practices from a different spiritual path and perspective. If you would like to support this podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash donate. How can we live our light and love in service to life? In my recent series of podcasts, I have explored how we can make a spiritual contribution to the polycrisis of the present time. In particular, how we can help a new story to come alive. A way of being that supports the more than human world to which we belong. This is a return to what I have called a deep ecology of consciousness that can take us into a living future. Central to this is an awareness that our spiritual consciousness is not just for our own individual transformation, our spiritual journey, but also belongs in service to the whole of life, is part of our journey together with the earth. This echoes Ramdas's central teaching of love and service, walking the path of service and social action. At the root of this combination of inner life and outer service, are the central qualities of love and light which belong to the soul and the understanding of how to bring this primal spiritual energy into our life, our community, and especially at this time, into our relationship with the living earth. For as Titnach Khan said, real change will only happen when we fall in love with the earth. In this context, I would like to share an old talk which recently resurfaced, Working with Light from the event I hosted together with Adyashanti in 2005, Mysticism and Global Transformation. This talk was at the beginning of my exploration of the transformative potential of spiritual energy. It describes the foundational nature of the light of our divine nature, how we develop this light, and how it is needed in the world. Almost 20 years later, these initial teachings have developed into these recent podcasts. But the message is the same, that our awakened consciousness, the light of the divine self, can help a new story come alive, a story whose foundation is the living oneness to which we belong. This oneness is awakening in the world at this present time, and our light can be a part of this transformation. In this way, we can be in service to the need of the present time, to the living moment unfolding around us. Working with light. I think we often underestimate the spiritual or the potential of our real spiritual nature. And part of my work and part of the, the vision behind coming together 
is to explore or even activate the transformative potential of real spiritual energy and the sense that it actually has a very vital role to play not only in our own individual transformation. And many people here have been on their own journey long enough to have experienced that potential within themselves and how it can completely transform one's life. Sufis would talk about lifting the veil between ego consciousness and one's higher consciousness, but that it really takes you out of a very small space into an infinitely expanding space, into this dimension of the self that is within the heart. And then to take it, the next step is, what is this transformative potential? Or what does this transformative potential mean for the whole? Because we seem as a culture to have become fixated on the individual, as if the individual's transformation or our own transformation is what it's all about. And we don't realize how much our cultural conditioning has contextualized us into this focus on the individual. We don't realize this is just a very recent paradigm, if you like, a very recent focus. And I remember somebody talking about uh, about shamanism and saying that, that the New Age never had much meaning for the shaman because for the shaman it was always about the whole. That's all that ever mattered. And so it is to try and liberate one's own spiritual potential from this focus on the individual and individual fulfillment. Because, of course, one of the things you realize when you, I don't like to say get somewhere because there's nowhere to get, when you access something within yourself, is there is no such thing as an individual. This is one of the great illusions that our own ego consciousness presents to us. And once you step into the arena of oneness, what the Sufis called the arena of the heart or the arena of love, then, then you realize that everything is one and you are not part of that oneness, you are that oneness. And so then how can we use what is within us what is behind the veil of appearances within us, in service to the one, in service to this whole. And I want to talk this morning about, about light, because that is one way of exploring one's spiritual potential. There are whole esoteric traditions about working with light. One of the very first books I ever read, I think I was 18, and I read The Secret of the Golden Flower, which is a Chinese Taoist classic that talks about creating the light body. And I was just incredibly moved by that because I suddenly saw you can actually do that. It's a little book translated from the Chinese by Wilhelm that actually Carl Jung gave an introduction to. And it talks about creating a body of light, one's light body, that gives one the ability then to access a certain spiritual dimension. And so there is, in many different traditions, there is a whole esoteric knowledge of working with light. And so I want to use the, the image of working with light as a way to explore how we can use this spiritual potential within us. Now, we all have a certain light within us. It actually comes into this incarnation at three months when the soul comes into the fetus in the womb. It is part of the light of the soul or the light of the self. I use the word soul and self synonymously. And when a baby is born, 
you see it in the, in, in the child. I think it is one of the reasons that, that a, a young baby gives us this extraordinary feeling of joy is once again, unknowingly, we see that light, that purity of intention that we knew we once had. It's there in, in, in a baby. It is actually, in a way, their, their physical, their body is actually created out of light. It is part of the whole mystery of conception, and it has to do with the whole feminine mystery of creation, how she can, how a woman can give birth to a soul within herself. I don't want to go into that in detail now because I don't have the time. But when a baby is born, something in us responds. And there is this joy that also belongs to this purity of light that's there, that comes from one world into this world. And, and it touches something very deeply in us. The Sufis call this the spark in the heart. And it's there in a child. And it stays very present in, in the first few years of life, God willing. There's the English poet William Wordsworth, he, he, he talks about this. He had this direct experience as a child that he then remembered later on. And, and he says, if I can remember it correctly, not in entire forgetfulness and not in utter nakedness, but trailing clouds of glory do we come from God who is our home. Heaven lies about us in our infancy. And then he begins to describe this transition. The prison walls close round the growing boy, but he beholds the light and whence it flows, he sees it in his joy. At length, the man perceives it die away and fade into the light of common day. But it is that that allows the child to have the direct experience of life. Because in this light of the self, which is within the child, you see and experience life directly. And how do you know that? Because later on the journey, when this light, through the grace of God, through some extraordinary happening, reawakens, you can once again have that direct experience that you had as a child. In Zen, it's called Satori that moment when, once again, the strawberry is just a strawberry, when, in the classic Zen poem, the old pond, the frog jumps in, plop. There is that moment of direct experience, which you have through the light of the self. If you didn't have access to the light of the self, you would not have that direct experience. The ego, as you well know, has very different experiences. It has experiences that involve judgment, comparison, and all the veils that the ego creates, all the distortions that the ego creates to give you the apparent or the illusion of experiencing life. But there is this pure light of the self. As I say, it comes into the, into the, the body, is given by the soul, by the self, into the human being. And it allows for this initial direct experience of life, the heaven being around us in our infancy. And then, as Wordsworth said, the prison walls close around the growing boy. My teacher, she said, really, it's by the time you're five and you go to school and all the competition and all the education, it clouds it. You lose it. There is the possibility now that there are children being born today who don't have to lose it to such a degree as many of us did. Some call these children indigo children. I don't know exactly, but, but you lose it. It fades away and you then begin to experience the world around you. And then traditionally there, there comes this moment that the, the Sufis call it tauba, the turning of the heart, when something extraordinary happens within the human being, and this light is again awakened. It's always been there in the background. I think for most people, it is either conscience or the spark of intuition. That's how it comes into most people's life. There is this conscience, this light that they can refer to. Because please remember, you can't see anything without light. You see the world of illusion through the reflected light of the ego. 
this apparent world that we live in. It's not actually the world we live in, but it's the world that we have our mind and our ego create that we apparently live in. And you see the real world through the real light of the self. It's quite a different light. I think St. Paul, he talks about, now you see through a glass darkly, then you shall see face to face. Now you know in parts, then you shall know even as you are known. It is part of the light of the self that in that light you are known for your real self. A very beautiful experience. I'm sure many of you have had that. And it, it's one of the, of actually the, the esoteric things that happens when you meet a teacher or you meet your teacher. You are for the first time often in your life known for your real self. What actually happens is the light of the teacher sees you as you really are. You can't see your real self in the distorted light of the ego. And the ego, as you know, works in duality. It always sees good and bad, light and dark, yes and no. It has comparisons. That's how the ego functions. It's judging all the time, even in the classic thing of the strawberry. Is this strawberry that I'm tasting now, is it as good as the last strawberry I tasted? Is it really the best strawberry, is it? And so the actual experience of the strawberry, that pure sweetness, is never experienced. But traditionally, when you meet a teacher, you are known as you really are. It is an extraordinary moment. There is this recognition. It often comes through the eyes of the teacher, and, and many people have an experience of a light coming from the eyes of the teacher. And in that light, you are seen. This is the light of the self, the light of what is real that sees what is real. Now, as I say, traditionally, there is this moment in the, in the destiny of the soul when through grace, good fortune, maybe pure chance, I doubt it, but the light is woken up again. Maybe you meet somebody, you read a book. It happened to me when I was 16 and I read this Zen koan. The wild geese do not intend to cast their reflection. The water has no mind to receive their image. It woke me up. Suddenly a light shone and I saw the world completely differently after that. Completely different world. I was still at English boarding school. But it was this unbelievable joy, this light. I can see it even now, the light dancing off the water in the river, that River Thames that ran by my boarding school. It, it was completely different. It was the same, but completely different because the light of the self was present. Now, this is, of course, a moment of grace. It's just given to us, this moment of awakening. And then there is the whole concern, what do you do then? I suppose there are two schools of thought. One says, you just let it happen. This is, if you like, very, very pure Zen, which I studied for a while. It says, even to do any practice is an imposition of something unnatural onto a completely natural phenomena. You should just let it be because it is. It belongs to that pure, uncontaminated dimension of yourself, your real natural self. And it is. I remember trying that for a while, very, very intensely. And <laughs> I was actually coupled at the time with some teachings of Krishnamurti that come from a similar place. It didn't really work. So the other school of thought says, then if you haven't found a teacher already, you look for a teacher, you look for a path. And if you find a teacher and you find a path, then you embark upon the, the practices of the path. And then begins the, the journey of the soul. Until then, you had the journey of the ego, the journey of the personality. But traditionally, at that moment, then the, it's called the second birth. The, the soul wakes up again in this life. And then you begin the journey of the soul the journey back to God, back to the source, 
back to the face you had before you were born. Now, what most people don't realize when they do the practices on the path, when they develop their awareness, whatever the, the path it is, it doesn't matter which path it is, they're all designed really for the same purpose, is that these practices are helping you to develop your light. You may think you are sitting in meditation trying to still the mind, you are doing being conscious of the breath, you are doing these practices of awareness. Yes, that is how it appears from the perspective of the ego and the physical body that you bring to the experience or to the mind. But underneath, behind the scenes, what almost all these practices are doing is they are making your light brighter. And you can see that very, very clearly on the inner planes, those who can have access to see things on the inner planes, because the more human being works on themselves, the brighter their light shines. The more that light of the self, that light of what is real, it shines more and more brightly. And it's very, very beautiful. You can see it in the eyes in this world. That's probably the most direct experience. That's why it is said that the prophet, peace be upon him, loved perfume and beautiful women and the shining of eyes in prayer. When a human being prays and looks towards God, turns towards the divine inside of them, then that light shines through them. It is the light of pure awareness. It is the light of the divine. It is incredibly beautiful. And it, it grows. It grows and grows and grows. This is the development of the light body of the human being. This is in a way, seen from the inner world, this is one of the primary functions of all spiritual practice. It appears through meditation you're learning to still the mind. Yes, but why? So the mind does not interfere. So the light that is within you can shine through. And you do this for many, many, many years. You work on your light. Your light grows. It is really the cornerstone of much, much spiritual work. And then there is, combined with this, a very, very mysterious process, which the Sufis call light upon light. Light rises towards light, and light comes down upon light, and it is light upon light. As you work upon your own self, and again, it doesn't matter what practices you do, it's the intention behind that matters. Your light grows, and it also attracts to itself another light which is, if you like, the light of your divine potential that is waiting for you to be lived. It's waiting for you. For most people, this is the light they meet at the end of the tunnel after they die. Many people have had near-death experiences of that. It's the light of their spiritual self they meet after they die. If you're interested in spiritual life here in this world, if you're interested in mysticism, you want to live it here now. You don't want to wait till after you die. You want to live that light here in this world. And so you claim it. It comes to meet you. It's a very, very beautiful process. You work on yourself and you magnetically attract into this incarnation, into, even into the physical body. The physical body even changes. The cells in the physical body start to spin at a different frequency because they have this light. It actually attracts new different physical cells to your body because you need new cells to be able to bear that light. As your spiritual self changes, you have to live a certain light in the world and you need a different physical body to do it. So your light will attract to it different physical cells. I think that the cells change every seven years. I'm not quite sure. But you attract new cells to you that are able to live spiritual light. They have to move at a different frequency. They can't be so dense. It's why one of the reasons as you go on, you may find you become more sensitive. You can't eat the same amount of junk food you used to eat. Um, you're actually changing. Your metabolism is changing. Your spiritual vibration is changing. You're actually, in spiritual terms, you're becoming quicker and quicker. You're speeding up. So this is the process that's happening within you. And on our particular path, 10, 20 years of this work, then there is this union of light upon light in which the two lights come together. 
And that is the, I suppose you would call it enlightenment. I'm not quite sure. I'm never quite sure what enlightenment is supposed to mean. But the, the Sufis call it unio mystica, union with God. When you realize your divine nature, when you become fully conscious of what you were before you were, of who you really are, not this illusory ego, not this complex, convoluted self, but this pure essence. It can come in a moment of bliss, a moment of real awakening, and you are then yourself. And you are then yourself for the rest of that incarnation, of that life. Yes, there is a whole process of how do you live? How do you live yourself? But there is this moment when you, the two lights come together. Inwardly, it is like the birth of a star. It is a dramatic cosmic event because we all have that potential within us. And the Sufis say all of creation rejoices because it is really creation realizing its deepest potential, a human being waking up completely, being completely present, knowing who you are. The Sufis call it coming home. You just come home. Of course, it's not the end of the journey. You claim your light, your real light, and then you have to live that light. Now, traditionally, then, you either, in some traditions, in some, I think Buddhist traditions, I'm not quite sure, that that's the time you are given a, a choice. You can go then if you want. You, you can just go. You're free. You are completely and totally free. You've realized your real nature, you can leave this world behind. And it's very, very easy to die then because certain attachments that keep you on the physical plane have been burnt out. There are Buddhist trainings where you then do a certain meditation practice and you go through all the levels of reality within yourself and you get to a certain place. And once you go beyond that certain place, you don't come back. And the, the body of the monk is just sitting there in meditation and there's nobody there anymore. Or you can choose to come back. The old monk then returns to the marketplace in this beautiful Zen story of the different stages of the journey, the ox herding pictures. He comes back. Everything he looks upon is enlightened because there is this pure presence, this pure light within him. It's just a completely natural way of being. That light within the human being touches everything it comes into contact with and everything is awakened. It's a very natural, very beautiful process. And that's it. That is the classic journey. This is living the Bodhisattva motif, which is why in the Sufi tradition we say after the state of union with God becomes the station of servanthood. You go back into the world in service to the one, living the one, being the one, you have an outer appearance of an ordinary individual person, but within that there is this ever-expanding dimension of the one. You are the one. And you can read texts of people who have got to this stage and they have lost their individual self. You live the one. But unfortunately, you know, there aren't so many people that do this. It takes 20, 30 years unless you are predestined to go through it earlier. It's a very, very labor-intensive process. It requires enormous physical, emotional, mental sacrifice on all levels. But there is another tradition that is not so well known, which is there are moments in the destiny of the planet when the gates of grace open. And what used to be only available to the few is then given to many or available to many. And there is at this time in cosmic time, if you like, in the planet, there is a need for anyone who has access to their light to live it in relationship to the whole. Say so traditionally, you only got to do that after you'd been through the journey. You know, you sat in your cell 
or your ashram for 20 years, you go through all the stages of the path, then you were allowed to teach. You weren't allowed to teach before then. Then you, you were allowed to go back into life. But if you like, the rules have changed at this moment. If you like to look at it differently, the soul of the world is in need, is in dire need. And it call, has called out. It has called out to all those who have been awakened to their light. And it has said, there is a need for a certain light to be given to the world. And it is no longer enough just for the however many completely illumined beings there are on the planet. And there are only ever a few in number. There is a need for more people to be involved in this work. For more people to use their light in service to the whole. And this is for me where it gets very, very interesting. Because once you have been through all the stages of the path, you know your light is not your light. Traditionally, you know the individual atma is the universal atma. It's a very beautiful cosmic experience in which you realize yourself is not even yourself. It never was yourself. It is the universal self. Basic kind of experience on that. But you don't realize that after you've just been being a few years on the path. You don't know that. You still think it's your light. You've discovered it within yourself. It's changed your life. It's done extraordinary things to you. It's completely expanded your horizon. It's given you access to energies inside of yourself. You've met people you never would have met if you didn't have access to your light. It's one of the beautiful mysteries of spiritual friendship. I don't know if you're aware of it. But once you have access to your light, that light within you sees the people who have access to their light. It sees this resonance. This is when spiritual companionship starts to happen. One of my favorite Sufi poets, Abu Kahir, he says, what was more pleasing than, was the, than when friend was with friend? The rest was only grief while that was all joy. It is an extraordinary thing when your light wakes up and it starts to resonate. And you may find yourself with people who on a personality level, on a background level, you have nothing in common with. But suddenly there is something else. There is a resonance of light to light. You can actually see it on the inner planes because the light, your light attracts itself to people whose light has a similar frequency. It's very, very simple. What you then begin to see is that, that light is working in its own way. And I say it's not really your individual light. You think it is. It's changed your life. It's completely transformed you. And it's a transformation that goes on and on and on and on. You are always beginning. I've been in this business since I was 16 and it still, it still changes one. And there are still, you are always about to, about to begin a new stage, a new expansion in all sorts of unexpected ways. As I say, the light that has woken up inside of you that you work on, you really develop inside yourself. And in a way, you give the best part of your life to it. Because <laughs> that is real spiritual service. It is not your light. It never was your light. It is the light of the divine or the light of what is real. It is one light. It can never be two lights. Because it is a dimension of pure oneness. Once you wake up on the plane of the self, you see it. Pure oneness. Pure awareness. It is not your awareness. It is awareness. You know. It is not you know something. It's just present. There is this incredible awareness. There is this light. And it works quite differently. This is this plane of light upon light. Light speaks to light. Light communicates to light. It is very, very efficient. It has no miscommunication. It is how, in our particular tradition, most of the teaching is done. It is done, the Sufis say, from heart to heart. But it is that dimension of pure light within oneself. It's often also communicated through the brow chakra that works with light, or through the eyes. The light of the teacher talks to the light of the individual directly. 
It is a recognition. It is direct communication. It's very efficient. What I actually find interesting as a mystic is to see that this whole planet is evolving into working with light. And on many different levels, there are two obvious levels. One is that we're beginning to understand the potential of solar power. I'm quite convinced that in a hundred years' time, solar power will be the, the energy source of the future on one level because it's completely free and it's completely does not pollute. It's a very, very beautiful energy source. It, we will learn how to work with light on the physical level. And also, it is very, very important part of computer communication through fiber optic cables. It communicates on the level of light. There's a very interesting thing that in the last decade, more fiber optic cable has been laid around the world than anybody knows what to do with. They overexpanded. They thought it was going to be used for all sorts of things, and they put it around the world, and it's waiting there, ready to be used, this whole network of light. Because on fiber optic cables, you communicate with light very, very efficiently, very directly, almost instantaneously. And that's another level that light is going to be used. And then there is the whole, what we'd call spiritual dimension of working with light, which I think is very, very important. Because light is so powerful. And light, that light cannot be caught in ego dynamics. There are no power dynamics with light because it's free. It's about the only thing that's free and that is not polluted. Even the water's polluted. But light is free, light is not polluted, and the light of a human being, the real light of a human being, is the light of the divine within them. You cannot capture it, you cannot market it, you cannot sell it. Why? Because it, it functions in a different way, it functions on a different frequency. And it has to do with this inner potential, this inner transformative energy that is within all of us. And as I say, normally in the past, the only people who got to work in this way were those who'd made the journey, who'd realized their divine nature, who'd realized their oneness, who were living completely present within the atma, within the self. Anything they looked upon became enlightened because that was their nature. It was just reflected around them. But there is a way for people who come together with a spiritual awareness to allow their light to work together. To allow their light to communicate. It actually, it works. Because it is the divine light within you, and it is also part of the one. For example, you think they're sitting wherever you are in this room, you think there are all these different people sitting in the room. That is a complete illusion. That is just the one manifesting itself in different appearances, always remaining the one. It can never, ever be other than the one. The moment you say it is, you split the one into two. And the one is always the one. The light of the whole, the light of the world, is always the light of the world. It manifests itself in different ways. To have all these unique experiences of the one, yes. But you are not a separate person. You never were a separate person. You are a bit of light flashing into existence for a moment, bringing a bit of color out of non-being, speaking, then communicating to other bits of the one. And this is where it gets very, very beautiful when the one begins to communicate with itself through the medium of the divine light of the human being. And that's what I really call working with light. And all one has to do, really, is to be open. As I said, the requirements before where you had to go through this intense process, and then you got the esoteric training of how to work on that level of oneness, on that level of divine light. But really, underneath all you have to do is to say yes. To allow yourself or allow the light within you to work in its true nature in relationship to the whole. To wake up to what it really is, which is one light. And then the miraculous can start to happen because we are trapped. 
within this illusion of our own individual self. Now you know that spiritually on your own journey because the moment you awaken to anything, you realize that is an illusion, that is a prison, your individual self. But then you somehow, as Adyashanti was saying, you then claim it as my awakening. And you're caught in another illusion. It is never your awakening. That does not make any sense. Because that is the one thing you, the awakening freed you from. <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow. Something wakes up within you. The one wakes up within you. There's this lovely line from, this, from the poet Hafiz. What is all this love and all this laughter? It is the glorious sound of a soul waking up. Something within you. Suddenly there is this moment of joy within the human being, this moment of laughter. That was my experience when I was 16 and I got woken up. Suddenly I laughed and laughed and laughed. I couldn't believe it. I thought the world was about one thing and suddenly in a moment I realized it was about something else completely different. Completely different. This is when, like Adya was saying, you know that there was never a problem. There could, couldn't possibly be a problem. Of course everything is just the way it ought to be. Not in any static sense, in a highly dynamic, continually changing way that needs your participation, that needs your aliveness, that needs your light. But then, you know, what happens is you get that for a moment, then you go back to sleep or you go into the snooze and then you struggle again. But if we can recognize very consciously, use our little bit of conscious self that we, that we have, you know that we are all one. We all know that by now even as a concept, right? Conceptually, we are all one. In this planet, we are all one. We're one ecologically. We're even now one economically, even though some have more of the one than the others. <laughs> We're one on a communication level. You know, you can... I remember the first time I phoned my daughter. She was on a bus going from London to Oxford. I couldn't believe it, you know, that I could just phone her and she could answer on the bus. We, we know where one, you can phone anybody anywhere in the world or, you know, and if you have a computer, you can access the internet and it's all one, it's all there. We know we're all one. We have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> we have no idea how oneness works because we take it back to ourself. It's like using the internet just to buy books from Amazon. We never say really... Say, look, it's all one. Let's go into that oneness and see how it works. Let's see how the light within me that belongs to this oneness, how it's going to relate to the light of the world, to the light of oneness, to the light in this room. There is all this light now. You can feel it dancing around the room. It's going from person to person. And what's very beautiful is how it's communicating. You think you have to communicate with somebody and you have to... You know, you have to talk to them. That is, yes, you do sometimes. And most of that is misunderstood, as you know. <laughs> you know, but he was speaking about relationship. But for me, the really exciting relationship is the relationship of oneness. 
How does oneness relate to itself? That might sound paradoxical. If it's oneness, it's all one. But that is a childish idea of oneness. You look at the oneness of the world and the beauty and the horror and the terror and the butterflies and the bombs. It's, it, it's oneness. It's not a static oneness. It's a highly dynamic oneness. We just haven't realized how it works because we're stuck in this image of duality, in this image of your and mine. And that is a complete illusion. You know there is no your and my oneness. There is oneness. And it seems to me if we're going to grow up, we have to grow into how to be present in oneness and how to let your energy relate to that. The light within you, the divine within you, the awakened part of you, be present in that oneness and communicate in that oneness. And it works very, very, very efficiently. Just like fiber optic cables are very efficient because they work with light. And all we have to do is say yes. It's very simple. Because that's all you ever have to do in any spiritual journey, really, when you come down to it, is to say yes. If you say maybe, you're on the waiting list. <laughs> if you say yes, the Sufis, we say, yes, beloved, do with me as thou wilt. I am just your servant. I am your idiot. I know nothing. Or you just say, yes, I am fully present. And then this yes resonates. And as you know, life starts to respond to your yes. That's why Joseph Campbell, when he said, follow your bliss, what he was saying is, follow your, your yes. Your bliss is your yes, whatever turns you on. And then he said, and if you do, unseen hands will open doors you didn't know existed. And none of you would be here if you hadn't had unseen hands opening doors. And that's the light within you unlocking doors in the universe. It's very beautiful to see. And that light beginning to communicate and beginning to relate. And then a oneness begins to wake up. I don't know if you're aware there is an unconscious oneness and there is an awakened oneness. For example, the world ecologically is one. But it is primarily unconscious. It is sleeping. I remember once flying back from, from Vancouver, flying over the forests or what's left of them in the northwest and the islands there. And I could see it was sleeping. It was very beautiful, but it was sleeping. It was all one. You could see the water and the islands and the trees. It was all one, but it was sleeping. But there is the potential for it to wake up. And it is our awakened light that has that potential. And it seems that it's time that we started to use our light in service to the whole, in service to the one, and begin this extraordinary communication of light to light in which your light speaks, relates to the light of one, which is the light of life. To me, it is a gift. You give back your light. It isn't really your light, but you give it back to life. And this is kind of the part of the experiment of being here, because when different traditions, when different peoples come together, then there is a spark. There is a spark of a shared purpose that goes beyond our own individual intention, that is greater than us. And that shared purpose can wake something up, can change something. Just as we know how that changed us individually, how that woke something up inside of us, how somebody said yes to us, otherwise we wouldn't be here. And that light is alive. It's very, very, very beautiful. This light of oneness, this light, if you like, of the soul of the world, coming alive. Because why else are we here than to help something wake up?
that we can give our awakened state back to life. We can give our light back to life. Or we can give life's light back to itself. And one last thing, please do not take this too seriously. It is always a danger at spiritual gatherings to become full of too much serious intention. Because life is not a serious intention. Well, it is, but not in the way we think. You just have to look around you. Whether you live in California or Bosnia, it doesn't matter. It's, it's so crazy. It's so completely absurd, particularly at this time in human history where life is about to self-destruct. I mean, I don't quite understand why. It is extraordinarily beautiful, extraordinarily terrifying, and completely different to anything we can imagine. Because it is alive. And we each have direct access to it. We are part of life. We are part of this. I think Tagore said, God hath made us infinite, such is his pleasure. And we are that one infinite being expressing itself again and again and again. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.